Welcome to Inspire Church's podcast. We're excited you're listening. Our hope is to inspire you to grow in God's Word, to grow more in love with Christ, and to go be a light wherever you are. To find more teachings or donate to the ministry, visit us at inspirechurches.com. We are in the middle of a Romans series. We're going through the book of Romans. So if you have your Bibles, let's open up to Romans chapter 3. Uh, we, left up, we left off last week uh, finishing chapter 2. And every week I try, to, I try to recap just so that we can kind of get an idea of where we're at um, by looking back at where we came from. And uh, if you remember, and I've said this a couple of times, but sometimes um, in order to appreciate good news, we actually have to be confronted by bad news. Uh, sometimes we must be confronted with the bad news in order to appreciate the good news. And, and so this is what Paul is doing in the opening of his letter. So this is the Romans is a letter uh, that the Apostle Paul has written to a community or a church that actually is in ancient Rome. And so in the opening stages of his letter, um, Paul is, well, the entire letter is about the gospel of Jesus Christ. But Paul says, before I can get to the good news, um, I need to confront you with some of the bad news. And so what, what is the bad news? Well, God is justifiably angry with all mankind. Like, that's bad news. God is justifiably angry with all mankind. And, and remember, if you remember a couple of weeks ago, um, God's wrath or God's anger, that can be triggering to some of us because whenever we've experienced anger and wrath in the past, it's been abuse. But God's wrath and God's anger is pure and righteous and holy, and it's justifiable against all mankind. Why? Because all mankind has rejected him as creator. All mankind in some way or another has rejected him. And then after we've rejected him, what we've done is we've replaced him and we've worshiped something else. And as a result, we break his law. All of us break his law. And so Paul spends chapter one verses 18 through 32, showing us how this has happened to the Gentile world. And then Paul spends chapters two and three, and he turns to his fellow Jews and he says, guess what? You're not off the hook neither. And I love Paul because Paul says, yeah, the world is sinful. Yeah, the world, God is mad at the world. Then Paul looks at the church while the church is saying, yeah, get him, Paul. And he says, no, don't clap because you're, you have the same problem. And so in chapters two and three, Paul turns to his fellow Jews and he tells them, you're just as guilty. And he tells them this, he tells his fellow Jews this, just because God has revealed himself to you through the scriptures, and just because you have been physically marked through circumcision as God's people, doesn't mean that God has excused you from your sin. The ugliness that you pointed out in others is the ugliness that's inside of you. So here's the big idea in all of Romans. All of humanity is guilty. Whether you're a Jew or a Gentile, whether you're sitting here this morning and you say you're religious or, eh, I'm not religious. Paul says it doesn't matter where you fit on that spectrum. All of humanity is guilty. And one thing is certain, we can't save ourselves. And here it is. And here's the point of Romans we are saved by faith alone in Christ alone. By faith alone in Christ alone. Now, in response to that simple truth, right? Don't we always complicate things? 
Like, wait a minute, there's gotta be other stuff. Okay, we're saved by faith alone. What else, what else? And, Christ, and Paul says, no, 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 by faith alone, in Christ alone. But we love to complicate things. So in response to that simple truth, many Jews argued with Paul, looking to poke holes in his logic, trying to find other ways that they can justify themselves other than Christ. And so they would look to poke holes through his logic and justify their religiosity and they would justify themselves and they would literally debate or argue with Paul. So this morning in Romans chapter three, verses one through eight, that's what we're gonna do. We're actually gonna look at these three objections that were thrown Paul's way when Paul told the Jews that you're saved by faith alone in Christ alone. And so let me just kind of share with you these objections now and then we'll pray. Number one, the Jews argued if our heritage can't save us, then what's the point of being a Jew? And what value is there in circumcision? And to be honest, I'd be a little mad at Paul too. I'd be like, you made us get circumcised. I'm like, what? there's no value to that? Supposed to be a joke, five of you got it. Number two, and I, and I don't wanna be inappropriate, but this is how the Jews thought, guys. This is how they thought. They thought, if I'm going to mark myself, if I'm going to physically do something to my body and go through pain, then what's the point in doing that? So, yes, slight joke, but I, I, and I don't want to be inappropriate, but this is what they were thinking. Number two, second question. If we failed God, this is what the Jews would say, second objection. Well, if we failed God as his chosen people, well, doesn't that affect his credibility? Like, if we are God's chosen people and we failed to do what he chose us to do, well, doesn't that make him look bad? And then finally, number three, the Jews argued, if our failure reveals God's goodness, shouldn't we fail more often to bring him glory? So today, we're going to look at how Paul silenced the trolls, all right? That's, in fact, I'm going to call my message the silencing of the trolls and, and some of you who are pre-internet, you probably don't get it. I'll explain that to you in a minute. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are so good. Your word is so true and your gospel is so beautiful. May that be clear today. And out of my words and out of my message, uh, may the one thing be evident is that Jesus, you alone deserve all the honor and all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. A troll... <laughs> A troll is not just an ugly, mythical creature that lives underneath a bridge. Um, but a troll can also be an obnoxious person who loves to debate and stir up trouble while hiding behind a computer screen. Right? So a troll is somebody who likes to respond to people's posts and just troll them. I troll sometimes. And I don't realize it. And somebody says, you're a troll. And I'm like, you're right. I trolled there, right? So, so it's not just this mythical horned creature, but it also is an obnoxious person that sits behind a computer that loves to annoy people when they post something, okay? Um, now, there, were, <laughs> there was no computers, obviously, during Paul's time when he wrote Romans, but he had his fair share of ancient trolls. Um, whenever Paul pe preached the gospel, in fact, especially with the Jews, some people would literally stand up and argue back with him as he preached. I'm like, Lord, please don't let that happen here. Amen. <laughs> but that would literally happen as Paul would present the gospel. People would stand up and say, well, wait a minute. And they would literally debate with him. So as he's writing this letter, 
Um, and as he's penning chapter three, he's actually anticipating the trolls and he's answering them. Does that make sense? Okay, so with that being said, let's jump into chapter three, just so you can kind of understand, because I'm gonna start it and you're like, what? Now at least you have a little context. Here we go. Remember, he's, he is answering three objections that come his way. So uh, verse one, and this is actually objection number one, verse one. Then what advantage has the Jew? Or what is the value of circumcision? Paul responds, much in every way. To begin with, the Jews were entrusted with the oracles of God. Now here's the second objection. What if some were unfaithful? Does their unfaithfulness nullify the faithfulness of God? Paul answers, by no means. Let God be true, though everyone were a liar, as it is written, that you may be justified in your words and prevail when you are judged. Objection number three. But if our unrighteousness serves to show the righteousness of God, what shall we say? That God is unrighteous to inflict wrath on us? I speak in a human way. Paul responds, by no means. For then how could God judge the world? But if through my life, God's truth abounds in his glory, why am I still being condemned as a sinner? And they were not, uh, I'm sorry, why should I be still condemned as a sinner? And why not do evil so that good may come? As some people have slanderously charged us with saying, their condemnation is just. Now, if you really step back and just look at those first eight verses, it might be a little difficult to understand, but once you put it into context and you know what Paul's doing, you start to realize. Now, for the rest of our time together, I want to look at how Paul answers these objections, and then I want to apply his answer to these objections to what I believe are some of those objections that are still hidden in our hearts today. So even though the Jews ask these objections, I want you to know that those objections still live in some of our hearts today. And so I want to see how Paul answers those objections, and then I want to use his answers to help shape our answers this morning. So let's jump right into it. So here's the first objection to break it down. If we are saved by faith alone, in Christ alone, if all we need to do is to put our faith in Jesus, then, then what good is it to be a Jew? Why would God call them his chosen people and then require them to get circumcised if all of these works have no value? I think that's a legitimate question. And so here's how Paul responds. And I want you to listen to this. When it comes to salvation, when it comes to salvation, being a circumcised Jew does not justify you in the sight of God. But that doesn't mean that these things don't carry any value. Paul reminds the Jews, out of all of the peoples of the earth, God chose you to reveal himself and that's truly significant. Now, I want you guys to understand this. Do you realize that this Bible that we read, did you realize that every author but one is a Jew? Every author of scripture but one is Jewish. If not for this family that became a small tribe that ultimately became a nation, if it wasn't for this small tribe of people, we would not have God's self-revelation in scripture. They heard his word. They preserved his word and they passed his word down for generations. 
And that is why you and I can come here on Sundays and sit under this word because this tribe of people over the centuries has heard his word, preserved his word, and passed it down to us. Now, let me say something else that might shock you or maybe something you've never really realized, but you know Jesus, right? Everyone knows Jesus in here? I hope so. God's only son, amen? Do you know he came to us as a Jew? In fact, he was circumcised, so he came to us as a circumcised Jew. And right now, that same Jesus, do you know that he's sitting at the right-hand side of the Father making intercession for us? And you know he's still a Jew? This means that currently, right now, and for all of eternity, you and I will worship a Jewish king. Right? Not that blonde hair, blue-eyed cutie that you have in some of your bathrooms. This is what we've done. We, we kind of create Jesus in our own image sometimes. So we have news. I have news for some of you in here. Jesus is the king of all kings, the Lord of all lords over every tribe, tongue, and nation. But I want you to know that he is a Jewish king and forever will be a Jewish king. And when we spend eternity with him, we will worship that Jewish king. Now, if you have a problem with that, you might be racist. And just repent of that. That's okay. We all got things to repent of. Well, it's not okay, but we all got things to repent of. Okay. Jumping back in. Paul's saying this. To be a Jew is to be someone who was given the scriptures first. In fact, early on, Paul says it a couple of times. He says, to the Jew first and then to the Gentile world. He always says that. To be a Jew is to be someone who was given the scriptures first, to have access to the gospel first. You see, God in his sovereignty determined to entrust a small tribe of people to demonstrate and deliver his self-revelation to the world. Like what a privilege, Paul is saying. How, how weighty is that? How significant is that? Now today, the essence of that objection still finds its way, I think, in our hearts today. And let me explain that. We, I, we reason to ourselves, and I say we, but maybe I'll just say me because I know I've had these questions, but I'm going to assume we all have been here. We reason to ourselves, if works can't save us, then what's the point of reading the Bible? Okay, I'm the only one. How about this? We reason to ourselves, right? If works outside external works can't save us, why should I pursue Christian community and accountability? And we reason to ourselves, if, if works can't save us, why do I go to church? <laughs> why do I go to church regularly? What, what, what's, what value is there in attending church regularly? Right? I got better things to do. Here's what I want you to hear me. Listen to this. Our goal isn't heaven. Our goal is Jesus. Let me explain that. To look like him, to love like him, to talk like him, to walk like him, to forgive like him. Our goal is not heaven. Our goal is Jesus. What other book could we read to find his heart? What other book could we read to find his words? How about this? Where else could we go to gather weekly 
with like-minded believers struggling through life to celebrate our risen king together. Where else, where else, where else could we go? Who else, who else could we turn to for the kind of wisdom and advice that helps us identify idols, repent of our selfishness, and turn back to the gospel? I think this is so vital. Please hear me out. These works, like going to church, reading the Bible, going through discipleship, being accountable, all these kind of churchy words, these works may not justify us before God, but you know what? They are gifts. They are graces given to us by God for the purpose of our sanctification. Our goal is Christ, not heaven. Listen, lacking a passion for those things which sanctify you only points to a lack of appreciation for the God who's justified you. Um, I, call, I call this forming spiritual habits. How are your spiritual habits? You might say, well, that doesn't save me, but it sanctifies you. Is your goal heaven or is your goal Jesus? Because if your goal is Jesus, then you're not just looking to get to a place because then we start using God to get somewhere. So it, actually, we're not worshiping God. We're worshiping the idea that we're gonna go to a place where everything's gonna be okay. If your God is Christ and if you worship him, then sanctification should just be equally as important as justification in your life. You know, I was debating on whether I was going to share this or not, and usually that's a little scary. I'll look at my wife and she'll, she'll smile. Every time. Um, you know why? I, I don't want to be petty, right? But sometimes you have to be petty to be practical, right? Sometimes you have to use a real petty example so people, ah, oh, I get it. But I, I do want to, there's, there's several different things. I could talk about studying your Bible and all these other things, but um, I want to tell you, uh, my mom and dad here, front row, um, I grew up going to church. There's some of you in here that grew up going to church. And I didn't just go to church, like we went to church. And the, the joke is, um, we were in there eight days a week, 25 hours a day, right? So you're like, wait, there's 724. No, seriously, we were in there at 825, okay? And maybe it wasn't that bad. I, I, I'm just, it's kind of a joke, okay? I love my parents. But here's, here's the thing is... Um, there was something instilled inside of me regarding the importance of church and church attendance that I think is so big for this next generation to understand. I have a real fear that this next generation of Christians really take church lightly. And, and I don't know, but when God was speaking to me and beginning to call me back home, Right? There was a time where I walked away from Christ, and when he was calling me back home, he wasn't just calling me to heaven. He was calling me to look like him. And, um, and I, I, look, there's a time when you normalize and the Lord speaks to you and you're free in Christ, but there was also a season where, man, church became, I was there, 25-8. And I remember thinking back in the day when my parents would take me there, like, oh, gosh, I, I can't wait to get out of here. But there was a time where the Lord flipped the script because I understood how powerful it was in my sanctification process. And you know what else? Your children yeah. are watching. Yeah. And the habits that you instill now are the habits that they will grow up in. Yeah. Now, that doesn't mean you can 
spiritually abused because there are spiritual abuses going on all over the place and people weaponize church. So I want to be very careful because as a pastor, I can weaponize church. So I want to be honest with you. I don't want to weaponize it. I don't want, I don't want to guilt you. I just want you to know that your sanctification is important. And where else could you go to gather regularly with other repented sinners to worship the risen King and listen to the word of God? And the habits that you create are the same habits that you pass down to your children. All right. I don't want to weaponize it. Second objection. Are you ready? This next objection actually logically follows the first. It's this. If God chose and entrusted the Jews, yet many of them failed, doesn't that make God less credible? The Jews like, okay, they entrusted God. You chose us. You called us your people. You gave us your word, and we were entrusted with it. I mean, we were called to steward it, demonstrate it, and display it, yet we failed miserably. Some of us failed miserably. Well, what does that say about you? Let me explain. As God's chosen people, the Jews were given the law, and they were expected to live it out, display it to the world, yet every step of the way, they violated his law and turned to idols. Read the Old Testament. Nowhere do we see the nation's greatest failure than the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. Those who were entrusted with keeping God's word literally sentenced to death God's living word. But Paul replies, by no means does the failures of the Jews reflect negatively on God. Paul says, on the contrary, their failures still served God's purposes and revealed God's glory. And again, nowhere do we see this more clearly than the cross, amen? From their, their greatest shame, God got the ultimate glory by putting Christ on the cross. And really, I don't wanna say this is a Jew thing. This is a humanity thing. We all put Christ on the cross. It was the Romans and the Jewish that were instrumental in doing this. But we've all, all our sins put him on the cross. I wanna make sure I say that. But in their history, they put the Son of God, they partnered with the Romans to put the Son of God on the cross. In their history, what was initially intended for ultimate evil, God turned around, right? For ultimate good. Now, we actually raise this same objection today. Don't you, or maybe, do you hear this often? Maybe it makes you a little ashamed to be a Christian sometimes. Um, because we hear non-Christians make negative judgments about God based on God's people, right? And doesn't it make you feel a little ashamed, right? When somebody puts down God because God's people. You see, people, people love to disqualify Christianity by pointing to the faults of Christians. And admittingly, we make that job really easy sometimes. We make that real easy. <laughs> right. But here's what people need to know. As a Christian, we exist to introduce the world to Jesus, not ourselves. Let me, let me tell you something. You come to this church long enough. Just come to church on a Sunday morning. If you serve in leadership, good luck. But just hang out with me long enough. Come to church just a couple of times. And it's not going to take you very long to see my faults. You're going to see my weaknesses. You might see some pride. You might see some arrogance. It's not going to take you very long to see my sins. 
But listen, someone who is gospel-centered will always point people away from themselves and point them back to Jesus. Do you hear me? I'm going to take a little detour. Important detour. That's why gospel-centeredness is the anchor of everything we do at Inspire Church. Let me explain. Gospel-centeredness is the why. It is the single motivating factor. I tell all my leaders, I remind everyone who serves on teams, you're obviously not getting paid for this. And some of you who have been in church ministry know you've done a lot of sacrifice. You were underappreciated, undervalued. Some of you might even have felt used at times and you weren't getting paid. But hear me out. When we forget the gospel, we serve people and people let us down. When we forget the gospel, we serve ourselves, but we're never satisfied. We're never satisfied. When we forget our why, we do things, we say things, we create habits that burn us out and steal our joy. But when we keep the gospel at the center, what we do becomes our worship. Not to Philip, because that's the senior pastor. Not to this person or that person, but what we do becomes our worship unto Jesus Christ. What we do, and if you remember, if you would just remember what I did, I did so much. What I did, if I just remember, you know what? I did it for Jesus. I did it because deep down his love changed everything. This is why we always remember why. We always remember our why. And Paul reminds us, he says this, let everyone fail. Let everyone be a liar. Let everyone be stingy and self-centered, yet God is still worthy of our worship. And he's still worthy of our lives, devoted to him. I want you to notice something. Paul actually includes a random Old Testament verse. So if you're reading chapter three and you've been following along, you'll notice somewhere around chapter four, he just kind of includes this quoted section. You're trying to figure out, does it even make sense? He actually includes this random Old Testament verse, but it's not as random as you might think it is. In fact, Paul quotes Psalms 51 verse four. Now, why is that important? Because Psalms 51 is actually David, King David's repentance of his sin. Paul uses the Jewish scriptures to prove his point to the Jewish trolls. So I'm going to use your own scriptures to prove you wrong. You see, King David was their hero. Some of you, he's your hero. Who's your favorite character? I like King David. <laughs> King David is your hero. King David was their national hero. But wasn't this the same dude that coveted somebody else's wife? And, and, and he didn't covet someone else's wife. Wasn't this the same guy that murdered the husband of that wife and then took that wife and slept with her? This is what Paul is saying. And that's your hero. Paul quotes a portion of David's repentance. And David's repentance basically says, God, you're faithful to judge sin and you're faithful to forgive sin. 
no matter what we do, no matter what I have done, you're still faithful. We can't judge God's faithfulness based upon the unfaithfulness of somebody else. We can't judge Christ's character based on the character of some Christians. Let God be true, though everyone else be a liar. That's what Paul says. Let God be true, though everyone else be a liar. Final objection. <laughs> and I, we all laughed when I gave it because this objection feels the most trolliest. I don't even know if that's a word, but it's, it feels the most trolliest of them all. Some Jews argued and some even accused the Apostle Paul of preaching a gospel that actually allowed people to sin. Right. Some people accused Paul preaching a gospel that said, if our failures <laughs> right, serve God's purposes and if our sins reveal how good God is, shouldn't we just sin more often so that God could get the glory? Now, Paul is actually going to address this deeper in chapter six. So we got a little bit of time before we get there. But actually, he takes this objection on really quickly and briefly here. And he responds to this kind of flawed thinking with two responses. Here it is. Number one, scripture teaches that God is an impartial judge. You know what that means? That means that God doesn't play favorites. That the same standard, the same standard that exists for this group is the same standard that exists for this group. So just because I gave you my scriptures, I called you my chosen people, just because I've marked you does not mean that you get our excuse from your sin. And a lot of times, some of us, we come to know Jesus and instead of becoming more humble, we become more arrogant and we point the sin out of others and we fail to check our own sin. You should probably practice this. Anytime you're going to sit with somebody else and pull the splinter out of their eye, take a little time to pray about the log that sits in yours. And that's what Jesus says. Jesus says, there's nothing wrong with sitting with somebody and holding them accountable. But before you do that, why don't you sit and look in the mirror for a moment and hold yourself accountable? And once you've repented and once you've seen your sin and once you've seen the goodness of God, then you're humble enough to not arrogantly or pridefully point someone out, but humbly say, God is working in me, and may I offer you a suggestion? I think we God could work in us together. Do you understand? There's a difference in that. And there, there should be a boldness. We shouldn't be afraid, but I'm just saying at the same time, that boldness should be tempered with love, truth and love, grace and truth. They're married together. Because if you give the truth with no grace, you'll be rejected. I call them hammer Christians, right? You just carry this hammer around. Yeah, yeah. And that's why sometimes when you hear me preach, and I have to learn this too, because I, I know I'm bold, and I could, anybody who knows me knows I could be a hammer. And sometimes I don't even know I'm being a hammer. And I need somebody to point that out in my own life, right? But that's why sometimes you'll hear me preach on Sundays, and, and, and I want to make sure that if you're an unbeliever in this world, I want you to know God is calling you to repent. But I don't want the Christians to be in here and being like, yeah, I, I, I'm coming after you too. After all of us. Amen? Okay. Get off the soapbox. <laughs> Scripture teaches that God is an impartial judge, right? And as an impartial judge, guess what? He must punish all sin. So if he were to overlook your sin yet judge someone else's sin, he'd cease to be credible. 
he'd cease to be integrous. He'd cease to be righteous. He'd, he'd cease to be trustworthy. And so Paul says, number one, he doesn't let, give somebody a hall pass and the rest of you know hall passes. Uh, everyone must be judged, number one. Number two, Paul says this, just because God's sovereignty has flexibility, <laughs> right? Just because God is so powerful that he has the ability to take evil things and turn them around for good, right? Just because there's that kind of flexibility and the sovereignty of God, listen, as Christians, we can never justify the means by the ends. Let me put it another way. How we get to a place is just as important as actually being there. We can't do it. We can't justify the, the means to an ends. And I think we do that sometimes, don't we? We do that practically, maybe in our workplace, maybe on our taxes, maybe trying to find other places in my mind right now, but maybe with our spouses, right? Don't we, don't we justify... The goal, at least we got here, but how we got here, let's not talk about that. But I want you to know, we serve a God that all of that matters. All of that matters. Now, I wanna kinda land the plane here this morning by taking a look at how this objection kinda still finds its way in our hearts today. I'm gonna kinda let you know how this objection still finds its way in our hearts today. And this is so important. Actually, this is probably going to be a little harder landing than I typically land. So my famous thing, get your seat, put the seatbelts on. Here comes the seatbelts. This might hit a little hard, but I, my, my, my hope is that you, you listen to my heart in this. But hear me out. We sin and we, we assume God automatically forgives. Right? And we, we've seen others fail haven't we? And then we've seen God use that failure as a great testimony. Haven't we seen that? Like, man, that's a great testimony. Some of us have even said, man, your testimony is so good. I think I'm going to go out there and do some dirt so I can have a cool testimony too. Right? Have you ever did that? I remember when I was younger, somebody like, hey, you know what? Like I was on alcohol. I was addicted to this. I was going through, all right? They just paint these pictures, but God, you know, but God. And I remember sitting there like, you know, I got my two parents in the house. I'm like, leave it to Beaver. You know what I mean? Like I, I'm, I'm okay, right? I mean, I'm not okay, but that's how you think, you know? I, I, God has blessed me. And I'm hearing somebody who's come from the bottom. Now they're here, right? And I'm just like, man, maybe I got to do a little dirt, you know, a little, little, little grit on my life, you know? I mean, God, that's amazing, right? We start to like kind of, and don't we glorify this? Yeah. Or how about this? Some of you talk about your testimony, and I'm not quite sure you don't like it. Yeah, yeah I remember back in the day before God delivered me from that, I was in the, you know, I was doing, and I'm like, I think you kind of like that, right? Some of you, you use your testimony to brag about your past. Like that, that earns you cool points. Right? We've seen others fail, and, and we've seen God use that failure as a great testimony. Right? So, so, and here's the point. Please hear me out. So there's a temptation in us. We're tempted to conclude that my sin is not that big of a deal or that God's grace will cover it and God's going to overlook it or it'll somehow bring glory to him. And I want to... I wanna, Again, conclude with this, and I know we're a little early, and some of you are like, wow, praise the Lord. But I do want to conclude with this and invite the team to come up and get ready. Um, 
please get this, grace is free. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said this, grace is free, but it's not cheap. And we cheapen God's grace when we look at it so flippantly in our lives. Are you with me? Grace is free. But in the freedom of that grace doesn't mean you get the opportunity to take advantage of it. Grace was free, but it wasn't cheap. When you look at that, at that cross, you realize actually grace was free for me, but for the savior of this world, it cost him everything. Grace is free, but it's not cheap. And I believe this is gonna speak to somebody in here today, but I really want you to hear me. Just because everything seems well now does not mean that you're not being judged. And I was thinking about this. You know, one of the worst things that could happen is that I can be in sin and successful. Right? Because sometimes we need to hit rock bottom. Right? And we hit rock bottom and all of a sudden we have God's, God has our attention or something gets our attention, right? Because we have to hit a rock bottom. But one of the worst things that could happen is that we never hit rock bottom. In fact, one of the worst things that happen is that we're in our sin, we're in our rebellion towards God and everything is going great. Because in that there's a temptation to justify your life because everything on the outside is successful. We do this as Christians, your job is good, you're in a good place, you're in a good place in your career, all these things are happening and therefore you think that equates God's favor. But I want to tell you something. There are people that are rebellious to God that are more successful than you. So it doesn't mean it's God's favor. The wrong thing you could do is to think that you're okay because everything is going okay around you. Are you with me? Just because everything seems well now does not mean that you're, being that you're not being judged. How about this? Just because a lot of time has gone by since a failure does not mean that you're exempt from repenting. Right, just because we put some time behind it, right? Like that was a year ago, or that was five years ago, or that was ten years ago. Like I've I put some time behind it. Doesn't mean doesn't mean that you're exempt from repenting. Just because you can hide it, cover it up, move beyond it, and silence and suppress your conscience does not mean that it won't pop back up and destroy you. Listen, undealt with, unrepented for sin eats us alive. In fact, many of us today are still suffering because we refuse to repent. Refuse to repent. And this will be the last statement I make and we're gonna worship and I'm gonna pray. Hear me out on this again, last statement I'm gonna make. I think it's super important. Here we go. The kindness of God, the patience of God, and the blessings of God are never to be used as signs or indicators that you are okay. These gifts God were, that God has given to us were not meant to make you feel more secure in your sin, but they're actually meant to lovingly draw you to repentance. 
Say it's the kindness, it's the goodness of God that draws us to repentance, right? And some of us, if we take advantage of God, the goodness, the kindness, the faithfulness, the patience, you automatically believe that that just secures you and and you feel like you're exempt from something. You don't have to repent from something. But God said, no, 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 no. Don't think like that because you will fall further and deeper into your hole and into your rut and you'll fall unrepented and that sin will eat you alive and you may not see it, feel it right now, but it is working its way back up. And you'll keep pressing down and suppressing and stuffing and it's coming back up. God said, no, 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 that's not how you're supposed to see it. Please look at my grace. Look at my patience. Look at my kindness. Look at my gentleness as not something to be taken advantage of, but look at it as an invitation to run to my arms and repent and repent and repent. Why? Because resisting that love and resisting that invitation will only, it won't serve you well in the end. And I know that from personal experience. And I know many of you feel that. Some of you, maybe it's like, ah, but I'm just gonna believe that the Holy Spirit is speaking this morning. I just wanna pray for you, Heavenly Father. All across this, across this room, I believe there are different objections that are on our hearts. But I just pray right now in the name of Jesus over this congregation, God, I pray that you would be glorified. You would be honored. You would be lifted up. I pray that the sins, faults, and failures and mistakes of those who have hurt us and harmed us would not harm or harm your reputation as good, loving, and faithful. So I pray for healing in this room. I pray for peace in this room. But I lead, most importantly, I lead this congregation through repentance. May this church never run from repentance. May repentance be something that you embrace and not run from. May we allow the Holy Spirit to search our hearts. May we soften our hearts. May we be humbled to be approached by others. And in that, may we receive repentance because it's your goodness, your kindness, your grace, and your patience that leads us back to your arms. Repentance brings us back to you. And so right now, we repent. Come on, wherever you're at, just repent. What is it? I I repent. I, I repent of my sin. I repent of walking away. I repent of making you into a man. I repent of not giving you glory. I repent of not making the gospel the motivating factor to the things that I do. I repent. I repent of saying things wrongly. I repent of taking advantage of things. I repent of justifying the ends by the means because all sins must go punished. And I repent, I put it on the cross and I lean into Christ for he is my righteousness. Okay, now that you've repented, now look to him. He's your righteousness. You're my righteousness, not my works. I can't be good, I can't be perfect, but it's your righteousness. And so I give my righteousness away because it's filthy. And now I receive yours. Will you just receive his righteousness in this room? I receive it. I am made perfect. I am made whole. I am made complete, not because of anything I can do, but because of the work of the cross. And so I will walk out of this room forgiven. I will walk out of this room forgiven. I receive the righteousness of Christ. Lord. We love you and we praise you. And may this church be always a gospel-centered church. And may glorify you until our last breath. 
Let everyone else be a liar, but let God be glorified. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen, and amen. Look, come by to Connects this week. Let's talk more. If not, we'll see you next Sunday. Have a wonderful Sunday. God bless you guys. Thank you for joining us for this week's Inspire Churches podcast. Don't forget to share or subscribe to join us every Sunday. You can keep up with Inspire Churches through Instagram at Inspire Churches or on Facebook at facebook.com slash inspirechurches. To support the ministry, you can click on the link in the description or visit us at inspirechurches.com for more information.